Welcome to Good Girls Talk About Sex. I am sex and intimacy coach Leah Carey, and this is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. Hey friends, if you've been listening for a while, you know I get excited about pretty much every episode. In fact, someone asked me recently what my favorite episode of this show is, and I said, that's like asking a mother to choose her favorite child. It's impossible because so many of them are so good. So you're not going to be surprised to hear that I'm super excited about this episode and the next one. And not just because the conversations are so great. It's because I've finally been able to get someone to go on the record talking about her experience with a sex worker. And her experience mirrors my own story of healing so much that I can't wait to share it with you. And then in two weeks, I'll be speaking with a full-service sex worker about her history, her experiences in the industry, the healing she sees clients getting from her work, whether she derives sexual pleasure from her work, and so much more. Both this episode and the episode in two weeks are supersized. And that's because these stories take some time to tell. This week, there's a lot in Lynn's young life to process. The situation in her childhood home that sent her into the arms of older men looking for the love she craved. An abusive marriage at age 16. Getting out of that marriage with an infant. And then we get to the story of her current marriage and how they ended up seeing a sex worker separately and together. And you'll hear that story largely unedited and uninterrupted. All of that storytelling means that this episode runs quite a bit longer than usual, and it doesn't even include a lowdown. I'll break in a little later to tell you about the audio extras available at Patreon, because there's actually a ton more stuff that couldn't even fit into this extra large episode. But for the moment, let's get started. Lynn is a 49-year-old cisgender female who describes herself as white, not straight, mostly monogamous, married, and the mother of a grown son. She is currently perimenopausal and calls her body very average. I'm so pleased to introduce Lynn. Thank you so much for talking to me to me today. Um, when you told me that you had a story you wanted to share, I was 
immediately excited because there is a part of this story that I have been hoping somebody would come forward with. Um, so I'm so excited to have this conversation with you today. Well, great. I'm excited to be here. I really love awesome. what you're doing. And I, I think it's a great podcast. Thank you. Well, let's start as we do with every one of these conversations. What is your first memory of sexual pleasure? Um, when I was about nine or so, uh, it was a hot summer night and um, I kind of threw my leg out of the blanket and the blanket was kind of up between my legs. And um, I just remember coming right out of my sleep going, oh my God, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> it felt good. Um, and, and, uh, so that was when I found that I had body parts between my legs that nobody had mentioned to me. (laughs) (laughs) So this was not a part of the conversation in your home. There was no like early, this is how bodies work. No, there was none of that. And in fact, I was so uninformed about it that, you know, I reached down between my legs to find out what felt like that. And uh, my fingers sort of fell into my vagina. And um, I thought that I wasn't finished at the bottom. I thought I had a birth defect. <gasps> you know, oh, like a no. fontanelle only between your legs. Oh. I thought, I hadn't, I thought it, my part, like I hadn't grown together properly. Mm-hmm. And since no one had ever mentioned that there was a vagina, you know, I thought, well, they're not saying anything about it to me. They don't want me to worry about this terrible oh. birth defect. How long did you live with that belief? Um, I don't really know, but I think, you know, probably at least around a year or so. Mm. Um, you know, the good news was that I also found my clitoris at the same time. And I thought <laughs> that since I was dying anyway, <laughs> <laughs> It didn't matter if I pulled around with this thing. <laughs> so, I think I kind of, I, I somehow probably through like, I'm sure like my first idea is that that's masturbation and it's wrong come out of like, you know, like Sunday school teaching you know, Bible things. Right. And I was like, Ooh, it's wrong. But it doesn't matter because I'm dying. So I mean, Oh my well God. <laughs> and that's the kind of thing that, um, I, well, I know different kids obviously will react in different ways. But for me, when there were things like that, that I thought, oh, my God, there's this thing is terribly wrong with me, I would hide it rather than mm-hmm. asking a question. So I just lived with the misconceptions for yeah. years and years. I was the same. I didn't ask anybody. I didn't, you know, I had this sense that we weren't supposed to talk about it because you know, nobody was mentioning it to me. And so in my mind, clearly it was this sad, sad thing that happened. But fortunately I had, you know, the rest of me to comfort me. So that was really nice. And I became a really, I became a really accomplished masturbator very quickly. <laughs> so you were getting a lot of pleasure from masturbation, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was having a great time with it after everybody went to sleep. Uh-huh. You know, I thought it was swell. I still do. <laughs> <laughs> and you said you were about nine when this happened? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Do you remember what or how you figured out that there was not something terribly wrong with you? 
I don't remember how I figured that out, but it wouldn't have been too long after that, that, you know, my mom started to talk to me in very clinical terms about periods. And so it was probably in some of that, that eventually I figured out that this was a vagina, not a birth defect, you know, (laughs) Oh my God, this is a vagina, not a birth defect. I feel like that might have to be the title of this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah, bless me. I was such a cute little kid in my <laughs> So there was clearly no sex education happening in your home. Was there no. any conversation? Like, did you see your parents being affectionate with each other? Was there any understanding of how a healthy adult relationship might look? Yeah, I would see them kiss and, you know, do sort of, you know, light, affectionate things together. And uh, one of my earliest memories actually is mom and dad are in the kitchen and my mom is sitting on my dad's lap and they're kissing and I'm only two. So I don't know why this is making me so happy, but I'm giggling so much. It's like bending me over at the middle and I'm just giggling and, and I'm so happy. And they said, Lynn, why are you so happy? And I said, I'm still giggling, right? And I go, I don't know. I don't know, but it's just so happy. And, you know, later I realized uh, because it gives little children joy to see their parents expressing love towards each other, you know, that's a joyful thing. And so um, I was just like, I was just feeling that that happiness they had and that my parents loved each other. It was really beautiful. <laughs> that is such a perfect example of compersion, which is a word that a lot of people don't know, but um, it's it's very big in the polyamorous community that when you you feel compersion, which is happiness or joy at the joy of your partner or of another person. And that's like a two-year-old beautiful little example of compersion that, you know, I feel joyful because I see my parents being joyful. Mm-hmm. That's really lovely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so you're around nine, 10, maybe 12, you figured out the periods are a thing and that you're not horribly disformed. Um, or what is the, yeah, disformed. Is that the right word? Yeah. Uh, Dis- deformed. 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 It of. sounded yeah. really wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so you figured out that you're not terribly deformed. Um, what happens next in terms of your sexual evolution? Hmm. Well, I think the next thing is I started sort of experimenting, well, sort of, I started experimenting with touching with a girlfriend of mine and she was my best friend. And we were very curious about things like how tongue kissing worked and how uh-huh. feeling each other worked, you know? And so after a lot of machinations trying to bring up the subject with each other, um, you know, we ended up doing some um, really innocent exploration and, uh, you know, feeling each other up and trying tongue kissing and that kind of thing. Um, And so 
that lasted until she kind of began to feel guilty about it. And she was like, I don't think we should be doing this. And I was like, dang. (laughs) (laughs) So was this for you a period of exploration with the person who was available? Or was there some sexual pleasure component of this for you? I did definitely feel sexual pleasure with it, but she was also the person that was available. But also knowing myself all these many years, I think probably um, I was probably also attracted to that. She's somebody I liked. In fact, she was somebody I loved. She was my best friend. And um, the more I know me, the more I know that how I feel about a person is going to determine how sexy they are to me, you know? Um, so I think that the fact that she was my best friend and I cared about her so much, um, that was kind of a draw to her versus anybody else that might've been in my life, you know? Um, it's not that I haven't gone out and um, played around with people I barely knew, but more often <laughs> it'll be the feelings that make them people become more and more sexy to me as I really care about them. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. That's something that is very common. Um, well, I think it's very common for a lot of people, and it's particularly common for people who identify themselves as demisexual, mm-hmm. that um, I need to have an emotional connection with someone prior to developing that real intense chemical attraction to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're best friend decides that this is not something that she should be doing anymore. Did the two of you remain friends? Yeah, we did. We, there was no, it didn't cause any trouble between us at all. We were just like, okay, you know, I didn't, if she didn't want to do that, I didn't push her. And nobody felt like anybody had done something wrong to the other person. So we were just like, okay, we won't. Good. Yeah, I'm glad to hear it. So um, what happened next? Did you find a willing partner? <laughs> well, yeah, because I was about 12 when I did that. So right around the corner were boys who couldn't wait to pet, you know. Mm-hmm. And so um, I had <laughs> became really easy to find willing exploratory partners. And so I had uh, a few episodes of um, heavy petting and, and kissing and carrying on and, you know, probably a little grinding, but none of us at that point were really ready to take off our pants, you know? So we were still in our jeans when we did it. And was that fun for you? Did you enjoy it? It was fun, except I worried about getting hickeys, you know, (laughs) I had a lot of fear that I would get a hickey. And then my mom would know what I've been up to. <laughs> and, uh, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't have any excuse for myself because, indeed, I didn't have a deadly birth defect. So, you know, I'd be like, yeah, I just did that. <laughs> 
it was fun, you know, yeah. but my mom would not have taken it well <laughs> at all. <laughs> so I, so was, she never found out. I don't know. I, I am sure if she had known, she would have said something to me. I mean, I just, I just know my mom and she'd have been furious and uh, it would just would have been pretty ugly. I'm sure mom was not a person who thought that sex was natural and something that children explore and learn about by, you know, in a hands-on way. My dad would have been more understanding because he always said, and he always taught me that sex was natural and healthy and not something I needed to be concerned about. And he always taught me that the world was going to tell me it wasn't okay for me to do that because I was a girl, but the world would say that it was okay for boys to do that. And he always said, that's not true. That's a double standard and it's not true. Your body belongs to you and you um, have every right to use it however you decide. And the only thing he said was, if you get married or something, keep your promises. Don't lie to your partner. Hmm. But other than that, that's your body. It belongs to you. So he probably would have have said, well, sure, she's doing that. It feels good. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you had at least one parent who was giving you some positive messaging. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was really... um, that was the healthy part that I was able to hang on to as, you know, sex became less healthy for me in my adolescence. When you say that sex became less healthy, what does that mean? Um, so as I got into adolescence, you know, meanwhile, uh, the, the quick backstory is my family's falling apart. And um, uh, my dad started drinking. Um, my mom I think became overwhelmed. She became, you know, physically and emotionally violent. And so I kind of took over raising my brother and I'm kind of like left alone to shift for myself in terms of daily life. And so as I come into about 15 years old, I end up with this real strangely bifurcated sexual life where on one hand, I'm still petting with uh, young high school guys and um, we're afraid to take off our pants and I'm concerned about hickeys. And then on the other hand, there are older men in our small town who are preying on me. Hmm. And um, I'm figuring out that that is a place where I can get love and attention and stuff like that, um, you know, that I couldn't get anymore at home. When you say men were preying on you, can you... Can you talk a little bit more about what that looked like? Yeah. um, These were older men. They ran the gamut between about age 35 and 55. And um, they, it was a very small town. So everybody knew there was a lot of trouble in my house. And it was probably really obvious that I was pretty depressed by that time. And so um, they would see me somewhere and strike up a conversation. And, um, you know, now I recognize that there was a lot of grooming behavior going on, you know, giving me lots of admiration and approval. 
you know, buying me little things, nothing big, you know, um, inviting me to go out and sit by the river and have a beer, you know, yeah, I'll get you some beer, you know, meet me out by the river, you know, I'll bring it to you out there. Mm -hmm. And we'd sit and have a beer, that kind of thing. So I thought back then, because I didn't understand the difference in the amount of power that we had and what they understood, I thought that I was having affairs and I thought I was a very bad girl for doing that. Hmm. But I didn't know how to not do that because that's also where I was getting love and affection and pleasant touch and things that I was missing out on at home. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was raised in a small town. I was supposed to be a good girl. I was, you know, I knew that if I got caught, that there would be terrible consequences. It was worth it to me because I needed love, you know? Yeah. My parents couldn't give that to me anymore. And I needed that. point in the conversation, Lynn and I took a deeper dive into the nature of the relationships she was having with older men. Was it predatory? Was it healthy? Was it possible that it could be some combination of both? I think it's an important conversation because we talk about how our view of a situation determines whether we feel victimized or not and how the accepted cultural narrative doesn't always match our experience. It's a really interesting conversation that we didn't have time for in the regular episode. So I hope you'll go over to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex and listen there. We also talk about how having had a history of violent homes, Lynn managed to create a home without violence for her son how she approached the topic of sex with her son, and how her relationship with her body has changed since she entered perimenopause. Plus, of course, the lowdown Q&A, which we didn't have room for in this supersized episode. Audio extras are free to everyone at patreon.com, regardless of whether you're a financial contributor. If you have a few dollars to pledge in support of my work each month, I will gratefully accept. But if you don't, I completely understand. And I honor you for taking care of yourself. Remember, you can access the audio extras at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. To access the audio extras for free, click the link in the app you're listening on now. Create a Patreon login and follow my account to get updates when I post new audio extras. If you are a financial contributor, you've got a special RSS feed in your Patreon account, so the audio extras show up automatically in your podcast app. You can find out more and become a community member at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. And remember, if you love what I'm doing and your finances are tight, but you still want to support the show, please tell a friend to listen. Send them your favorite episode and invite them to chat about it with you. 
Use the show as a jumping off point to deepen your own conversations around sex and intimacy. Now, let's get back to the conversation with Lynn. The abuse in my house got worse and worse, and it did. It became a place where people couldn't live, or at least I couldn't live. Mm. Um, so I left home when I was 16, and I actually ended up getting married. Oh, wow. Because I left home, and then I was terrified. <laughs> like I didn't know how I was going to be okay. I had dated occasionally a young man who was a year older than me, and we ended up getting married. Uh-huh. And how old were you when you got married? I I think it was right before my 17th birthday. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Um and so how did how did that go? It was good in the beginning. Um you know, we had had we had been pretty compatible sexually. And then I got pregnant, you know, he was hoping that we would get pregnant and I got pregnant with my son. And shortly after that, he became violent. And um, after he started hitting me, then I didn't want sex at all from him. Mm. That uh, that is just like, there's nothing less sexy than getting hit by somebody. Sure. So then it became um, really after that, until the day I left him, the only sex that was happening was really him raping me because I wasn't willing and Mm-hmm. Um, but I did figure out this, <laughs> I did figure out like, I don't know, a couple of months or so after that started, or maybe it was longer than that. I don't remember, but you know, keep in mind, I'm pregnant before the first time he hits me. So as my pregnancy progressed and I needed more rest and I was really tired, I didn't have the energy to deal with a fight with him over it. And then he'd smack me around. And then by two o'clock in the morning, I'd be too tired to continue to resist. So he'd take what he wanted. That seemed like too much. So again, my Mm. sort of oddball way of taking care of myself. One day I'm thinking, well, then why do you fight with him? Let him have it. Be done. Get some sleep. You got a baby Mm -hmm. in here. You got to take care of yourself. So I began to do that. And um, that at least got me more sleep. Yeah. Again, this sounds like somebody who's making the best choice out of bad choices. Like you can either get hit a bunch and resist and be assaulted, sexually assaulted, or you can give in and be sexually assaulted and at least not endure the trauma of being hit and get some sleep. Like if those are your two options, I'm going to say, yeah, it makes sense to not resist. I mean, I I sort of hear you saying in my oddball way, this is the choice that I made, but that seems like such a reasonable choice to make in that situation. Yeah, I think it was the only choice that made any sense until I got to the point where I felt like I could walk out the door. Um, and I was delayed in getting to that point because I was scared that I couldn't, I couldn't feed my kid. I I was like, I have a baby coming. Sure. I don't know if I can do that by myself. Mm -hmm. And so while I worked those other things out, 
you know, my very pragmatic choice was it made sense to just let him have it and then get some sleep because the next day was coming and I had work to do. Yeah. And so how long were you in this situation of, of him being violent with you before you were able to leave? My son was four months old when I left him and he started hitting me about a week after we found out I was pregnant. So I don't really recall, but you know, we could probably do some quick and dirty math and say it was, you know, sort of around a year-ish that Mm -hmm. this all goes on. And I tried to get help. I tried to get him counseling um, because another thing was it was the late eighties and the, the whole public discussion was how if there was a divorce and there was a broken home and your child would be destroyed. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want that for my sure. kid. <laughs> so tried to get him some help that didn't work out. And then one day I just realized I cannot stay. I mean, it was like leaving my childhood home. I realized one day you cannot stay here anymore. This is so dangerous for you. Get out. Mm-hmm. And so I did. So when you left your first husband, what was your feeling about sex in general? Having been through an extended period of sexual assaults, were you feeling like I would like to find somebody who's going to be good to me and have good sex? Or did you think I'm out? I don't want any more to deal with this. I thought I would never have sex again. We're having this conversation because I know that your story doesn't end here. You didn't never have sex again. (laughs) It's true. So at what point did you decide that you were ready to interact with other people again or with another person? It was not nearly as long as I thought. Um, I had, you know, several long-term relationships. um, And, they were, you know, my, my kind of my pattern would be was I would date a little bit and, um, and then generally kind of make my way back to some kind of long-term relationship. And then that would go along for a certain amount of time. And, and then for whatever reason, it would break up and, kind of go again. You, you got to remember like all this time I'm busy raising my child, you know, yeah. I have this boy and I'm raising him up in those days. <laughs> if you didn't have a husband for your children, you know, it was a broken home. Yeah. It was not complete. And remember like, this is the Murphy Brown, Dan Quayle. I was thing. just going to say that. <laughs> and people were saying to me, and people really judged you yeah. on the street, in the grocery stores, whatever. You were highly judged for being a divorced woman. You know, your son was like, bad things were going to happen to your son. And um, I did not want that. And I didn't want him to not have a father because I did believe it was important for him to have um, other people in his life besides me. So it was really just like on this quest to complete this family. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry now, 
that I couldn't see we were complete. We were fine. Mm. There was nothing mm-hmm. wrong. He was well loved. He was, you know, indoors, warm and fed. If I had been able to realize that then and accept that then, I would have had more fun, less angst, would have he wouldn't have had so much angst. But that was not what society said back then. Yeah. You know? Um, people like me, you know, single moms, we were ruining the country. You know, mm-hmm. and um, it was all going to hell in a handbasket, and it was our fault. So, yeah. never mind that you were single because your husband was beating and raping you. Right. Yeah. yeah. They didn't. That that part wasn't really taken into account, mm-hmm. and I was terrified that I was wrecking my son's life, mm. and that all these things they would tell you. You know, your child will grow up to be a juvenile delinquent and all this stuff. Right. And I I was terrified that that was true. And I was wrecking his life. I was, I was letting him down. Are you aching to explore new vistas of your sexuality? Do you hear me talk about concepts on this show and think it makes sense, but I need help applying it to my particular situation? That's where personalized sex and intimacy coaching comes in. When you work with me, I promise to help you feel safe exploring your sexuality. Together, we'll look at your needs and desires without judgment and help you figure out how to fulfill them. There is no single answer that's right for everyone, so I'm going to help you discover what's right for you. And we'll go at your pace. That's the pace that respects your emotional needs, your boundaries, and your nervous system. Because going too fast can send you into shutdown, while going too slow can be infuriating and exhausting. The goal is to find what's right for you. I work with clients who are motivated to explore many different areas of sexuality, including things like expressing your sexual desires to current or future partners, exploring if you might be queer, challenging body image insecurity in sexual relationships, dipping your toes into BDSM, exploring consensual non-monogamy, learning to date after a long time out of the dating pool, exploring your sexuality for later in life virgins, and so much more. I want you to have a deeply fulfilling, intimate life, and together, we can help you get there. For more information and to schedule your discovery call, visit leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. That's leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. Let's dive into the the next piece, which is you meet your second husband. He's pretty excellent in the sack and he's a very nice man. (laughs) (laughs) How has the sexual relationship between the two of you developed? Um, The first year it was great. We're having a blast man. Like we always do. Um, But uh, we ran into a snag. There was some big life events that happened several years ago, like major life events, a death of a parent, we're working on step parenting stuff. It seemed like there was something else. Um, there were some major life events. And during that time, I was in a lot of acute grief 
because it was my parent who died and um, my dad. And I just, I, I didn't know then what complicated or complex grief is. And I just, I was not doing very well with that. And so anyway, at some point, you know, I had just let him know that I just don't feel like having sex right now. And, you know, we need to take a break from that. Unfortunately, he heard those words as I don't love you and Mm. I'm going to be leaving you. And so I'm not Mm. having sex with you in preparation for that. You know, he flipped out, got really angry and, and ultimately, you know, punishing with me. I flipped out. I was terrified as a kid who came out of a lot of violence in the home and he didn't hit me. Now, let me, let me be clear. He wasn't being violent, mm-hmm. but um, just like yelling and carrying on. And I, I was just, I became terrified. I reverted back to that nine-year-old who, you know, suddenly had her home erupt in violence. Sure. Um, to say that there was great emotional unhealth is a, an understatement. And then on top of that, I'm going through menopause. And so my libido went away at some point, like completely away. I couldn't really feel my skin. Sex was really repulsive to me. I would try to have sex. I wanted him to feel loved. But like even my muscles, my internal muscles, they would just like stand up against it. They were just like, no, we're not going to do this. So there was a lot of pain. It was very bad. And I didn't know how much of it was physical and how much of it was the emotional problem and how much is me just getting older, you know, and Mm -hmm. because people tell you things about getting older and, you know, how it affects your body and your libido. But like, it's not like there's a gauge you can read to see like, Oh no, that's just menopause, you know? So I didn't know. I had like no clue why this was happening. And it was so different for me because I had been pretty happy about doing sex all my life. (laughs) And suddenly I, I didn't, not only did I not want it, I didn't have any, I, I never got horny. I never had any like desire would not show up. And I thought I was broken and the most, like the clearest indication to us that I wasn't lying. It, I really didn't want sex was I didn't masturbate anymore. Mm. Like it didn't work. I couldn't, I couldn't have an orgasm from it, which I had always been able to do since I was nine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, things got dysfunctional. I think is what they, you know, sexual dysfunction, right? Yeah. And how did the turn in your sex life affect the emotional part of your relationship? It destroyed it. You know, we went from being best friends that we talked about everything. And we went from that to just, we still kept working on day-to-day stuff, but we couldn't, we couldn't. I couldn't depend on him to back me up and um, I'm sure he felt the same. There was a lot of punishment. There was a lot of, I don't, he, he tends to like stonewall or um, like be emotionally punishing. I tend to criticize. That's my way of emotionally playing. I criticize. I get very critical. Um, Just nasty. God. So there was a lot of really bad behaviors going on. 
And um, we continue to work on our relationship, but we had a lot of trouble and we did not make any any strides with in, in, in our sex life. Our sex life was smashed pretty much mm. through all that time. We did figure out how we were going to handle our like our, our family, our blended family. We ended up learning, you know, how we could live together and do things like pay bills, but getting back into bed with each other. Um, we tried everything. I've read all the books. I've tried the techniques. I've tried the different <laughs> toys. I've done, we have done, like we've done all the things and it, it was all just, it was just, it just kept failing and it was miserable. And he didn't feel very loved and I didn't feel very safe or at peace. It was yeah. not good. Were you sharing a bedroom? Yeah. Yeah. That's hard to have that much tension and resentment built up and to still be sleeping in the same room. Because mm-hmm. it's always there. It's, it's not like you go to your there. own separate bedrooms and you can like relax for a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I got to the point where I would let, I, I would just hang out, let him go to bed and try to get to sleep. I Like all the classic things you hear people doing, you know, pretend like you're asleep. So they think you're asleep, mm-hmm. you know, let them go to bed first, do all the things I did everything. Yeah. And he did all the other classic things where try to pursue it in this way, try to pursue it in that way. See if that, you know, forever doing something and then, you know, asking, you know, you know, does this make you Randy? No, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because asking that question is the least likely thing to make you Randy. <laughs> Even if this had worked, you asking what right? you should, should not ask that. That's not a good question. Don't ask, ask that, that question. Yeah, it's a dumb question. So, so what was the turning point for you? We kept working on it. And then, um, so one day, (laughs) so I had told him for some time I had been telling him because he is a very physical person and he, his need to like, just be touched, cuddled, loved. I get that, but I couldn't do it for him. So I had been saying forever, um, you can go to a professional, like don't go to some place where there's clearly like somebody's being trafficked make sure that this is a person who has agency and is about, but I don't have a problem with you doing that because I'm not able to give that to you. And I want you to have what you want, you know? So to be clear, when you say professional, you mean sex worker. Yep. You can go to a sex worker, but he kept saying, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't, I only want to have sex with you. I don't want to. But then at some point he felt okay about doing it. And so he went out unbeknownst to me, He did some looking around and he found a sex worker that he felt comfortable with. And he went one afternoon, again, unbeknownst to me and visited her. And um, so he comes home and he was like all lit up and excited. And he wants to tell me about it. And I'm like just sitting in the chair and I see him and his excitement. And I remember my thought was, oh, this went really well for him and he wants to tell his best friend and that's Mm. me. And he is so excited, like eyes all are shining and he's telling me about it. And I'm like, this is good. Right. 
But then he says to me, and she has these boundaries. She sets these boundaries and I was respecting her boundaries and da, 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 da. And I'm thinking in my head, the fuck? You don't respect my boundaries. You are respecting somebody else's boundaries? Mm. And I kept my mouth shut. Like, you know, I let him tell a story. And then I was like, oh, well, I'm glad you found somebody you liked. And he goes off to do whatever he went off to do. And I went off to my office and shut the door to sit with my feeling of unease about the fact that he had respected somebody else's boundaries and he wouldn't respect mine Mm -hmm. because I want him to respect her boundaries. And I would be really angry if he didn't, but I was like, how, how come you'll do that for her? So one of the things in the, the emotional um, work that I've been doing is I had been learning to to ask myself, then what do you want, right? You have something, you, you're displeased by this situation. So what do you want? Yeah. And so, so I started to journal about that. What do I want? And I came up with three things I wanted. I wanted to know for sure that this person was not in any way being um, trafficked or any mm-hmm. of that, that she was, she was good with this and a person who had her own agency. And I wanted to ask her, I should find out like, can you show me how you're getting him to respect your boundaries? Because he's not doing it for me. So I would like the sex workers, you know, course on getting him to respect my boundaries. And then the other thing is I wanted pleasant sexual touch. You know, in doing that, I thought all we do is talk about how he hasn't gotten what he wanted once in bed for 10 years, but I haven't either. Nobody mm-hmm. has touched me in a pleasant way. It's always had this problem on it for all this time. I want to be touched in a pleasant way. So um, I want to go see her. And so I later, when I saw him again, I said, I have, I have to talk. I want to talk to you about something. And I said, our anniversary was coming up. Cause I'd also thought about that. So I said, you know how our anniversary is coming up? And he goes, yeah. And I said, do you really want to go to a cabin for four days with me? And we sit there and are frustrated together. And we just spend all that money to just be irritated as shit hmm. that we're not having sex or enjoying each other's company. And he's like, no, I really don't. <laughs> and I said, okay. So what I'm thinking is, um, I want to go see this woman that you went to see by myself. And if all goes well with that, um, I will see if she will see the two of us together for our anniversary. What do you think of that? So it took him a little while to respond because he was kind of like, wow, I didn't think that was how this afternoon was going to turn out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in favor. However, (laughs) I need to gather myself to make a response. And so he was like, um, yeah, that sounds, that sounds good. And I got to think about it. And I'm like, okay, you think about it. Can you please contact her? Put the two of us in contact. And, um, please, when you do that, make sure you say to her, my wife would like to avail herself. So she doesn't think it's an angry wife calling to yell at her. Mm. So he does that. 
And she still thought, she told me later, I still thought it was going to be an angry wife yelling at me. <laughs> like, I'm not that wife. <laughs> so I got a hold of her. She was agreeable. So I went over there and um, I told her a bit about what was going on. And I told her, I wanted to know about how, what am I doing wrong with setting boundaries? And I told her, um, and I want to be touched. I want pleasant touch. And I haven't had that in, in years. Um, so she was pretty awesome. And she said, this is not the first time I have worked with couples in this, mm. in this situation. You know, you guys are, you know, I'd be glad to work with you. And she said, um, you're not, it's not your boundary setting, but you don't have the same consequence I have. Because if mm. he doesn't mind my boundary, I can kick him out the front door. And that's what I do. Mm -hmm. And they know that. And that's why they listen to me. So this is not you are not doing a good job, but you don't have the same consequence. So we need to teach him the, you know, the importance of this. And that if he wants to have a good relationship, he's going to mind your boundaries the way he minds my boundaries. And, and when I got to my third thing, like, you know, where I was saying, like, I want to be touched pleasantly. Nobody's done that. And I said, all we do is focus on how he didn't get what he wanted physically. And she goes, well, my God, let's go. So we went <laughs> upstairs. And um, man, I learned a lot about myself now. <laughs> you know, over the last 10 years, as my body's changed with menopause, I've realized that I think also my sexuality has changed, but I had no idea what that looked like, you know, because I wasn't having sex. I was not having fun sex. I was just having this strained thing in the bedroom. So I didn't know what I liked anymore. And um, I was just amazed um, that at what I learned about what my body likes now. And it was really nice. What is your body like now? My body first likes to be completely relaxed so that we can shut off the 82 tabs in my brain that are all mm. open and searching for some something. It really likes to be able to like divorce. My brain needs to like divorce itself from my day to day. So she does that. As, like she is giving me this hot oil massage. It's just so relaxing. And once she, I'm completely relaxed. You know, she starts to do things to warm my body up. And that was the next thing I learned. I didn't used to have a responsive desire. But now if you relax me and then you start doing the sexy things, my desire turns on. Yes. Keep in mind, I hadn't really been able to feel my skin. Yeah. And I hadn't really like my body, I, my head was kind of like divorced from my body. And, um, so I find out that I'm not physically broken when I'm with her. Um, she, she kind of worked, you know, she's got me all oiled up and she kind of glides on my body at one point and I just felt my skin come online, just hmm. like you rebooted something like, whoa, and it felt so good. And then she starts doing the different things she's doing, you know, first on, um, the like my legs my arms my stomach like giving me all this pleasurable touch and I'm going wow you know oh my god I can feel this and then she asked me if I like toys do I yeah 
<laughs> and so she started using a toy on my clitoris and just working that. And I'm there in this, um, you know, my skin's online, but my genitals aren't really fully online. And it takes like a long time. And I remember thinking, oh dear, she's been doing this a lot. I should like, you know, I need to come. She's like doing a lot of work. She's going to feel bad. Then I realized, no, no, she knows the deal. I mean, she, she's, she's a professional. She knows how this works. And she already said that she knows sometimes it takes longer than you think for a woman Mm -hmm. and that you need to just hang in there and let, let her let this happen. And I thought to myself, you don't have to take care of her ego, Hmm. which was kind of, you know, that's always been part of sex for me. Like I had to take care of my partner and my partner's ego. And I was like, you don't have to take care of her partner's, her ego. She knows what this is about. She's good. Mm -hmm. You need to just go back, put your mind down between your legs. Not only that, you're paying her to not have an ego in this. Right. She got taken care of. Yeah. And so I let go of this idea of I had to take care of her ego. And within, I don't know, a few minutes, several minutes, I don't know. It's not like I'm looking at a clock, but a little while later, not very long, right? It starts to happen. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh my God, here we go. Orgasms. So I have one and she looks up and she goes, that was hot. I'm like, thanks. (laughs) Wait. It's usually a double feature or more. And, and, she, and so, so we, you know, she just, she's like, she just hangs in and just lets me kind of ride that a little bit. And, um, I, and I'm just like, I, I felt like a, still a little bit, you know, overwhelmed because this is the first time that this has worked well for me for a long time. But I was like, well, but my body works. Mm. I'm not broken. Mm -hmm. Maybe it works differently than it did. But the important part is I know physically I'm not broken. That piece is taken care of. It works. So that was pretty exciting. Um, You know, and then, um, so um, we did schedule to, to go for our anniversary. And, um, in the beginning, we kind of left Eddie sitting there on the side and let her start to relax me. And then she started talking to him about, you know, oh, if you do this, oh, if you do that, like she started showing him little techniques and um, he was interested. <laughs> uh, again, you know, we focused on like kind of getting me relaxed, which wasn't as easy with him in the room. But mm-hmm. I was able to do that. And, um, and she, um, she and uh, both of those two were working on me. I, I hear actually there was this funny moment where she's working on getting me relaxed. And I don't really remember what was happening. I think I was completely relaxed. She was like warming me up. Like she's getting my body all warmed up. And she's doing something around my legs. And at some point, like I really relax and like my knees kind of fall open. Mm-hmm. And I hear she gave him the big thumbs up. My eyes were closed. I didn't see it. But she was like, when their legs open up, you're home free. <laughs> see, now, you know, she's relaxed. And uh, he was like, great. Let's do it. 
Um, so, you know, they worked on me and then he and I, uh, or she and I were working on giving him some pleasurable touch and some goodness. And then he and I ended up together, you know, as we tend to, and then we all ended up in a nice, warm, soapy shower. Um, <laughs> and it was an awesome, it was an awesome anniversary date. It is way better than a cabin. Yeah. <laughs> so what have you learned about your sex life with him from this experience? And what has he learned about his sex life with you from this? Well, we've, we've learned a lot. I mean, because this is all fairly recent. So you're still yeah. processing this. Yeah, well, and but we're and we're also learning really fast. Because it really started flipping switches. For one thing, we mm -hmm. learned I, I'm not physically broken. We, we don't yeah. have a physical problem here. We have an emotional Huge. problem. Huge. So, yeah. And so, and, and we were able to start um, talking about, look, body, our bodies are going to change the rest of our lives. I mean, you may wake up one day and your, your thing just doesn't work ever again. But do we want to have a good sex life or not? Yeah. You know, we began to be able to talk, you know, really see and talk about how important um, emotional safety is to both of us and how yucky it feels when we have sex when we don't feel emotionally safe. Mm. So we had just before this had this this new rule where we I, I, if I didn't want to have sex and I mean, like enthusiastically want to have sex, the answer was no. Mm -hmm. And so I really stuck to that. And, um, early on he began to realize, Hey, you only have sex with me with another person. Like that's a band aid. Like you don't want to just have sex with me. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, that's not true. I just am able to be successful over there because our emotional baggage doesn't come, come with me. Right. Which is a thing he knew early on when I had said I was going to go and visit Miss B we'll call her. He had said, I think that's good. I think the first time you come back to having sex after this long period where we had been sex is off the table. He said, I think you should do it with somebody that's not me because all of your emotional problems are with me. Smart. And he man. Goes, You're going to come try to come get into my bed and there are going to be all the problems. You should go do this with someone else. Yeah. And it worked as he predicted, didn't have those problems. But then afterwards he was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You just need this person as a bandit band aid. And he goes, I realize, you know, there's safety and numbers and everything for you girls, but you know, I don't feel good about it. And, and I said, that's not at all. <laughs> that's not at all when I need this. This is working for me because I can just focus on what we're doing in that moment. And it's no problem and learn how my body works and learn how to like kind of recarve those neural pathways. And instead of freaking out when something happens that I find sexually relevant, I have a I can relax. I don't have to protect her ego. I don't have to, I can let this thing happen. And so what I think is that, you know, every single time I have a success with that, I think that sex is going to get better. And he was like, well, that kind of makes sense. And that's kind of how it's gone. The more I do that and the more we practice, 
I'm more and more able to relax with him. Like he'll do the hot oil massage for me now and he'll use some of the techniques she taught him. And <laughs> the first time we did that, I mean, we must've worked on it for about an hour and I got like sort of 70% relaxed and we ended up just cuddling. Cause I was like, you know, I, I still judged it a success cause it was our first time. Yeah. Then after we went to her together for our anniversary and we tried this again, I wasn't watching the clock, but I think it was maybe 20, 30 minutes. And then I was like, I'm kind of hot for you. Why don't we just do stuff? <laughs> and we had great sex. So he was happy about that. And more and more, I'm able to just want sex without having to have the relaxing massage. Yeah. I'm just like, the sex turns on and I'm like, Hey, I want sex. Let's do that. nice. That is yeah. amazing. So I think good things are happening. Yeah. I'm <laughs> so happy for you. And I think I'm, there's so much about this story that I love. Um, I think that it is incredibly important for so many of us who have felt that we are broken to hear the words or hear the messaging that we are not broken from someone who we're not involved with, from mm -hmm. someone even better who we're, you know, we have no baggage with whatsoever. And I also heard that message from a sex worker. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a huge part of the reason that I was able to believe her. She had no horse in that game whatsoever. Um and then also that um, the whole bit about ego, that you don't have to protect her ego because you're paying her. It, the payment is not a sign of shame. The payment is a sign of we're on equal footing here because mm -hmm. you're providing us a service. And it is a hugely beneficial, profoundly healing service. Mm -hmm. Um and I hope that over time, we can, as a culture, begin to shift that in our minds. I think sex workers across the board deserve to be respected and treated well. I think yes. especially sex workers who do this kind of healing work are angels on earth. Yeah. And we really need to pull them out of the shadows because right now, technically, she could get in trouble. Yes, we all for did. what she's doing. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, which is why we're not naming her. And, and unfortunately, I will not be putting a link to her website or any of those things. Because unfortunately, she carries some serious liability for doing this profoundly healing work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I hope that that will change one day. Because, um, you know, I think that um, if we could let go of some of the stigma and certainly the danger, there's just a lot of things that being able to work with somebody in a professional way can help you with. Yeah. Eddie and I are back to being the best friends we used to be. <laughs> like there's just been a huge profound shift in our relationship with each other. And we're kind of like regaining our our trust and that kind of thing in leaps and bounds, you know, mm. and I just don't see that happening this way for us. We would have still been tripping over sex, which is a huge part of being in a relationship, a committed relationship. Usually it's giant and many, many relationships end when 
sex gets derailed. And the majority of therapists are not only not trained in dealing with sex, they actively push those and say, I I can't and won't talk about that. Yeah, we actually went to a couple's counselor. I went to an individual's therapist. Um, I have talked to doctors about because I was concerned. Is there some physical part? Is there something going wrong physically? Do I have an endocrine system problem that we need to address? Mm -hmm. Um, Could not get any answers to any of that. Basically, the therapists were not really interested in um, like delving into what was happening and what could be done about it. Mm -hmm. And so that's part of why it took so long. And I was really concerned about talking to people about it because um, I really felt like people would be disapproving Mm -hmm. uh, of me, of us not having a good sex life together And I thought that they might be disapproving because things were so bad that I think most people would have told me I should leave the relationship. Mm. And I did not want to hear that at all. In fact, the people that I was really close to and talked to about that were only people, you know, I would say up front, I am not interested in leaving him. I got to find some different way to solve this. It can't be leaving him because I'm not interested in leaving him. Mm -hmm. But I thought a lot of people would judge me for staying under these circumstances. And at the same time, like, like at its most base, we were not getting to have good sex. And I wanted, I wanted to have good sex. We enjoy good sex. We're actually a lot of fun at it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's a part of a healthy life. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, um, and the reason that I was so excited when you came to me with this story is because I know that there are a lot of couples out there, maybe not a plurality, certainly, but there are a lot of couples out there who have used, um, the services of sex workers in a positive way to benefit their marriage, whether it's in the way that you are doing where you're actually relearning each other through the work of a sex worker, or if it's a pair who have a significant libido mismatch. And so the higher libido partner utilizes the services of a sex worker so that they can then come home and have the romantic and emotional relationship with their lower libido partner without sex getting in the way. There are a lot of ways that sex workers can and do help to improve and even save marriages. And I'm just so thrilled that this has worked for or is working for you and um, that that you were willing to tell this story. So thank you. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm pretty thrilled it's working for us too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Lynn, we have done it. Thank you so much. This has been absolutely amazing. I'm so grateful to you for showing up and sharing this story with us. Well, thank you for having me. I love your podcast. I'm so honored to be on it. (laughs) Aww. That's it for today. If you're enjoying the show, 
please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or if you're using another podcast app, go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash goodgirls. And remember, there's a treasure trove of audio extras available for free at Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash goodgirlstalkaboutsex. While listening to those extras is free, producing this show is not. If my work is meaningful to you, and you have a few dollars to support it each month, I will gratefully accept your patronage at Patreon. I donate 10% of all Patreon proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are increasingly difficult to obtain. Find out more and become a community member at patreon.com forward slash goodgirlstalkaboutsex. Show notes and transcripts for this episode are at goodgirlstalk.com. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at goodgirlstalk for more sex-positive content. If you have a question or comment about anything you've heard on the show, call and leave a message at 720-GOOD-SEX. Good Girls Talk About Sex is produced by me, Leah Carey, and edited by Gretchen Kilby. I have additional administrative support from Lara O'Connor and Maria Franco. Transcripts are produced by Jan Asiello. Before we go, I want to remind you that the things you may have heard about your sexuality aren't true. You are worthy. You are desirable. You are not broken. As your sex and intimacy coach, I will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. To set up your free discovery call, go to leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. Until next time, here's to your better sex life.